especially. And uh, fifth grade and sixth grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh. Yeah, so I'm not telling you who's older. She said seventh and eighth, but, you know. Uh, but, no, it is, it is a privilege to be back here. Um, the Lens have meant so much to myself and my family uh, through the years. Anytime I have the opportunity to be a blessing and let them go on vacation. Um, and then if I get the chance to come and be here with you, then uh, I am excited to take that opportunity. As John mentioned, our whole family is here. Um, I mentioned this last time when I was here in February, but uh, if, in case you weren't here, thank you so much for those of you who have prayed for our family through the years. Um, I was I was caught off guard um, as we were singing uh, My Hope is Jesus. Uh, my youngest daughter, Ellie, uh, who many of you have prayed for, she's the one who went through the battle with leukemia and bone marrow transplant. That is like her favorite song. And so Audrey was saying, she's like, oh, I hope we sing that tonight because she'll get to come in here and just she just belts it out. And so as we were singing it, I just kept listening in my mind to Ellie singing My Hope is Jesus. And I kept, <gasps> I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> so I'm thankful you sang after that because I was, <clears throat> it's good to be here today. <laughs> Um, if uh, if you didn't uh, have that little break in there, but uh, so it, but it is it is good to be back with here uh, back with you here today. Uh, we are going to be looking at something today that is very atypical for me. I don't normally uh, preach topical type messages, uh, but today this is this is something that God's laid on our heart. It's been something that even over the last couple months. Uh, as Pastor Len had asked if we'd be able to come up and fill the pulpit today, uh, this was something that God kept bringing up to my mind. And I thought, well, Lord, then maybe maybe this is just a quick challenge that we all need here this morning as we um, as we come together to hear God's word and to worship Him. <laughs> but let me ask you a question. For those of you who uh, who have uh, done this, do you remember when you fell in love? You hear all the mm-hmm, aww, mm-hmm, aww. back when he used to be romantic, <laughs> you know, all those things. But you remember, like, when you fell in love and, like, what it, what it was like and what it felt like, you know, it was like whenever you saw, whenever you saw that girl in the dish pit, you thought, someday she's going to cook me dinner and do the dishes after that, too. No, they, like, whatever those feelings were, whatever that was. And, uh, and so we're, we're going to be talking about this topic today of, of love, and, um, and it, it's... We all have different experiences when we fell in love. It was all it was different for each and every one of us. For some people, it was definitely an emotional feeling. Like my heart went pitter-patter every time that I saw him or every time that I heard her speak or whatever it is. We we all think of it in a different way. And so what I would like to do is is kind of take the emotion out of this idea of love and I want to give us a little bit of a quiz that, that really does look at what are the facts of love. Many times we hear, we see bumper stickers. In fact, I I see them quite frequently around where we live uh, in in the area that we live. We live in a very um, open, tolerant uh, society there in Grass Valley in Nevada City. The history of it goes all the way back. There's a lot of like the hippie movement has settled into there. So you see a lot of bumper stickers. You hear the phrase a lot like, what the world needs now is what? Love. (laughs) Why can't we all just be more loving to each other why why can't we just be more accepting to each other i'm like well okay first off i i don't know that love and acceptance are are equal 
you know. Um, so I, I think I think that whole conversation has to come from a different place. But do we really have a love problem? Like really in the world today, do we have a problem with love? I I don't think that we do. Because according to the Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 5, it actually, Paul talks about the days that we live in. He said this, know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now, we believe, at least I believe, that we live in the last days. I believe that, that Christ's return is imminent. It's always been imminent. Um, but I do believe as we see the world progress, as we see the thinking of society become more anti-God, we see Satan be, uh, grabbing more of a foothold in the world and in the thinking, and even in the, the culture that we live in, the, the society, um, even with the technology that we have, the grip that Satan has on the minds of people is so strong. I just can't imagine Christ. I can't imagine the world lasting another couple hundred years like this. So I believe that we we do live in the last days, but this is how Paul describes it: Men shall be without love, and everyone will hate each other, and people won't get along, and it will become intolerant. That's not actually what Paul says. He describes it pretty aptly to what we have today: Men shall be lovers of them own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So I don't think we have a, a love problem, do we? The fact is, we love pretty well. It's not a problem with love. We all have things that we love. We all have things that that we have part of our lives because without that in our lives, we would be worthless. At least we would feel like we would be. And so it's not a problem of love. What's the real problem then? The problem is the object of what we love. See here in Timothy, what Paul is saying is, hey, Timothy, what's going to happen is everybody is going to start loving themselves so much, they're going to love their own even arrogance and pride. They're going to love themselves so much that it's going to start affecting the relationships that they have. And they're even going to show it in this way that they're going to become lovers of pleasure. So they love themselves, they love pleasure, more than they love God. They have the wrong object of love. Now, I don't think many of us would sit here and openly admit to that. Well, obviously, I love things more than God because, I mean, we're at church on Sunday morning and I love football, you know, which is why I have the updates coming to my phone, you know. So I left my phone in my wife's purse today just for that. But, you know, it's, it, no, 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 I, none of us would admit, like, obviously, there's things I love more than God. We want to think that we love God, don't we? I mean, we tell ourselves that we love God. In fact, we, we tell other people that we love God. We put bumper stickers on our car. Honk if you love Jesus, all right? Or, or we put Bible verses in our lawn. We obviously 
we love God. Now, I'm not against those things at all. I think those are, are terrific ways to be a testimony. They're terrific ways to create an identity and to even create a, a mutual understanding between people. But is that really the test of like, you love God if you're willing to put this sign out. You love God if you're willing to have this sticker. You love God if you dress like this. Is, is that how we... Is that how we really show that we love God? It may be an indication to other people that we have a priority, that we have a relationship with God. That's true. But don't we also understand that we may be able to show some things on the outside that we really don't feel on the inside? We live in a world that has, uh, that has created group identities, that everyone has to feel part of a group. I have to identify over here. I have to. In fact, I thought it was really interesting as we pull up the building de- just down the road. That's the training, the training ability building. It's called join. <laughs> I'm like, well, if that doesn't say just, well, just join. <laughs> sure, I'm in. <laughs> I don't even know what to do. Join. I'm, I'm part of it. That's, that's the group I'm going to be. I join something, you know. And so I, I giggled to my uh, men don't giggle. Sorry, I chuckled to myself <laughs> as we. Uh, as we pulled up there, that I was like, there's just a thing called join. Training Nevadans to do something. I, I didn't read the rest of the sign. I was just stuck on join. <laughs> um, but we like identity. And so therefore, I think because we like certain identities, because we like to be part of groups, we like certain labels, it forces us on the outside to conform to different things. That's not the love. Do you love Jesus that we're going to talk about today? In fact, we also, we, we have a problem with the object of love, but even our understanding of, of love. Again, it goes to that outward identity. But then I, I have a really stupid illustration. And the hope of using this stupid illustration is that you'll remember it, and whenever you think of it, you'll be drawn back to what we talk about this morning. Also, it's the best I got. All right? I love this pen. All right? Now, I, I do office work. I sign a lot of papers. I fill out a lot of like thank you notes. I do a lot of that type of stuff. I am a weird, part of a weird group of individuals that I have my own type of pen, right? My desk is filled with this type of pen. And it's not just any particular type of pen. It's actually a type of cartridge that goes in the pen. Um, I love a pen that is a 0.38 tip, right? Most pens, 0.7, that's fine. Point or a, a one is like a very wide, thick pen. Right? I used to like those when I was a kid, but now that I have to write like the the seven, it's just so fat and bulky to me. You know, even even a point five, the fine tip pens, they they get so smudgy. They leave so much ink on a paper. It's just, it's not my pen. I prefer a point three eight. You can only only order them online, to my knowledge. The only ones that I found in store that claim to be a .38, I found at a Staples. They were not. They they were they were posers. They were not a true .38 pen. And so, in fact, I only like of .38 pens, which are very rare. I only like the Unijet Stream brand because I know the ink that they're going to write with. I know that when I write a thank you note, I know how many words I can fit on the note. I know when I sign my signature exactly how it's going to look. I love this pen. 
In fact, this pen, uh, I was I was uh, speaking at a Valentine's banquet using this illustration with another one of my pens, and somebody bought me the triple color pen, just like when I had when I was a kid. It's got blue, red, and black ink in it. This is wonderful. I love this pen. This pen stays in my Bible. It's the one that I write my Bible with because, again, I know I can write really small. I've used the word several times here that I love this pen. I've told you that my... My desk is filled with this brand and that cartridge of pens. Whenever I go down to the main office of camp and it's time to sign all the donations, you know, slips, I know like I have to stop by my office first and come down with my Unit Jetstream pen made by the Mitsubishi company. I found that out. I really love this pen. But what happens when I get done with the ink in this pen? I've said here that I love this pen. I've used the word several times. I've explained even what I know about this pen and the things that that draw me to this pen and the things that I enjoy about using this pen. The reality is when this thing runs out of ink, I'm going to throw it away. But, but, But I love this pen. Honestly, I think that's the same way that we talk about love. We understand love. We live in a society that teaches us that a lasting commitment only lasts until you don't want it anymore. Until it's no more useful for you. We find it even, sadly, with college kids that sign up. Man, I love working at camp. I want to work at camp this summer. I'm willing to sign a contract. And it's like, oh, but I got a better job offer. So I signed my contract with Mr. John. I'm just going to let you know that I'm going to break my contract so I can take this other job at Chick-fil-A. I get it. That's tough. <laughs> All right. But but we have no idea like our 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 understanding of of commitment and love it only lasts until usefulness is done. We wouldn't dare talk about God like that, would we? We we would never say I love God and mean it that way, do we? We would never say I love God, I love Jesus because he gave himself for me. But right now, Lord, this is really fun. <laughs> and I understand that there are certain things that you've asked of me. Certain, I, know it's, I know it's Sunday. But this is a rivalry game. You know? Or, or Lord, you know, right now things in my life are going well. So I'm just going to start doing some things on my own. Oh, we, we love God like I love my pen. The usefulness isn't there anymore, so there's not really a need for it. It's something that's discardable or reorderable. So I want us to take a little quiz today. Hopefully it'll be brief. The idea of this quiz came from a a book written by an old Puritan pastor by the name of Thomas Brooks. Thomas Brooks (coughs) wrote a book all about Christian, do you love God? And uh, so some of this uh, is from there, but... Really, only a couple thoughts uh, and this main idea uh, of it has come from this. But I find this to be a very intriguing, thought-provoking questions from God's Word of do we really love God? Not do you have a wardrobe for church? Not do you do certain things that you need to do? But do I really love God? There's a couple verses that I would challenge you to memorize in your own life, even post them around your house, that I think will help remind us that if we truly do love God, 
then this is what we will be, not necessarily things that we will do. They will be part of who we are. First thing I want to look at is, do you love God? Or was the, uh, let me, I always get in trouble for not phrasing things as a question, right? If you love God, first question, do you hate sin because you cannot separate it from the cross? Right? So I'll say it again. If you really love God, do you hate sin because you can't separate it from the cross? You know, we all understand, at least I hope we all understand, that Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to earth to die on a cross for our sin. If it wasn't for sin, Christ wouldn't have had to die on the cross. So every time that I sin, that I disobey, that I get angry, that I I let my own selfishness and pride take over my life, that should actually be a reminder that, boy, my selfishness is what Christ had to die for, to pay for. That's a big deal. It really is a big deal to get angry and yell at my kids. Because Christ died for that. If I truly love God, I'm going to hate sin because I understand that it was sin that caused Christ to have to die on the cross. In 1 John 4, verse 10, it says, Here in his love, not that he loved us, or not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the substitute or the propitiation for our sins. This is a verse I would challenge you to write down to memorize Psalm 119, 128. Psalm 119, 128 says it as clear as any verse that I can think of in the Bible. It says this, Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. So what the psalmist is saying after the end of Psalm 119 He's going through there talking about God's word. He says, this is, this is what it boils down to. Lord, I believe that everything that you've written in, this, in your word, that you've written in the Bible, is true. And everything that's not in here, everything that would tell me to be, do differently than what is in here, to think differently than what you have asked me to think or what you've told me to think in your word, all of that, I hate it. It's not that, that's eh, not my favorite. I hate every false way. How much do you hate sin? Or is it, well, this is, I hate the big ones, but this is my pet sin, and I've got it under control. All right? I only get angry in this situation, but the rest of the time, I'm under control. Or I only do this or think this in this situation. It hasn't affected the rest of my life. Only when I'm in private do I see this, do I think this, do I do this. But no one else knows about it. So I'm okay. That's not hate. I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way that's a good question number one but there's more 
Question number two. If you love God, do you love who God loves? There's an entire book in the New Testament written about it. It's 1 John. The entire book of 1 John is written, one that we may know that we have eternal life, but also 1 John 1 and 2 especially focus very much on you will love the brethren. You will care for the brethren. The reason this message keeps coming into my mind and these thoughts keep coming into my mind is because at camp, we have a, a group of young people. We have an apprenticeship staff. We also have uh, two college programs uh, that young people come to. So we have three students in our college program right now. <coughs> me. And on Tuesday nights, we have a book study or a, a Bible study out of a different study book that we do. And my mother-in-law recommended this year that we go through a book called Sandpaper People. All right? And uh, I'll tell you, I hate this book. It is a horrible book because what it does is it reminds me that I annoy somebody else with pretty much everything that I do. But it also reminds me that every other person that annoys me, God has a way that I'm supposed to respond to them. I don't like it because this book is against every one of my natural inclinations to just avoid that person at church that I don't really like. So this book, Sandpaper People, in going through it, it brings up a lot. Uh, every chapter is based on a different biblical illustration. And one of the things that, that it remind, reminds us of so much in here, think of this in John chapter 4. Jesus Christ was moving with his disciples, and he says, I must needs go through Samaria. Why was it that Jesus Christ had to go through Samaria? Because he had an appointment that he needed to keep. And who was the appointment with? The woman at the well. You know who the woman at the well was? She was the richest, most beautiful, most well-liked social influencer. Everybody followed her on Instagram. She was the person that everybody wanted to be like. No. She was the town disgrace. <laughs> she was the lady who no one else in town would have cared about, or if I can use the words of the, the author, uh, she was pretty much everybody's sandpaper person. <laughs> She's the person that everybody else was avoiding. In fact, she was avoiding everybody else. She came to draw water in the middle of the day, which was super abnormal. Not what she would do. Not when you want to be out in the heat of the day to do this. She was a sandpaper person. But what was it that Christ did? He valued her enough to go out of his way, and he understood the value that God had, had placed on her enough to give her the gospel. And say, you know what? Maybe the rest of the people in this town don't love you. Maybe they don't understand your value, but I do. You know what your value is? Christ died for you. And he loved you so much, despite all your flaws, despite your open sin, he loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son to die for you. <laughs> but John, you don't understand. This person I work with is annoying. Everything they do drives me crazy. <laughs> they chew really loud. You know, Wh whatever it is. That you're like, oh, that person. 
Man, Christ valued somebody who was so repulsive that the rest of the town pretty much avoided them. Loved him so much that he went out of his way and said, hey, I just want to tell you, maybe everybody else, they're not following you on Facebook. But God loves you so much he died for you. <laughs> Another person we think of in the Bible. Look at the prophet Hosea. Who did Hosea marry? <laughs> All right, Gomer. And not Gomer Pyle. Right. We're talking, this, this lady was a piece of work. But what is it that God calls Hosea to do? Continue to love her. Continue to go out and retrieve her and bring her home and raise a family with her. And what does she do? She leaves again. She goes back into prostitution. And what does he do? He goes and he buys her. He sacrifices for her to show her that he loved her and to show her that she does have a real value. I avoid certain sections of church just because there's people there that I don't want to talk to. But it seems like God would have a pattern of saying, you know what, I love everybody. And you know what, there's different people with different personalities. But if I love God, I'm going to love who God loves. So first two questions, how are you doing so far? Number one, if you truly love God, you're going to hate sin because you can't separate it from the cross. The second one, if you truly love God, you are going to love who God loves. Third one, if you truly love God, you're just going to go ahead and trust him even when it doesn't make sense talked about this a little bit when I was here in February, uh, and, uh, and I, I love to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I love to talk about the fact that when they respond to King Nebuchadnezzar, when they're standing in front of the fiery furnace, they look at them and they say, listen, King, we're not careful to understand you. We're not just, we're not answering you on a whim. We thought this through, and here's where it pans out. King, God is able to save us from the fiery furnace. You're a great king. You have the ability to throw us in there, to destroy us. God has the ability to save us. But you know what? Even if God doesn't save us, we're going to burn to death trusting that God is in control. But I'm having trouble at work, Lord. I don't I think you I think things are spinning out of control for you right now. Maybe maybe I should just take over for a little while. And we get into this this idea that we can trust God when things are good. But when things don't really seem to make sense, it must be that he's paying so much attention to someone else that he needs our help. I don't know how many people have kids in here. I happen to have two little ones. We struggle with this one a lot. Okay, Ellie, Daddy wants you to do this right now. No. Okay, Ellie, you don't understand why this is important, but Daddy does, and that's why I'm asking you to obey. That's why I'm asking you to do this, all right? I'm asking you to pick up your shoes right now. It doesn't seem like a big thing. 
But I'm hoping to build a habit in your life that will be a consistency and have character. You don't understand that. I just want you to trust me that it's important. No. <laughs> okay. And there's so many times that I feel like God is our loving Heavenly Father is working on us and saying, I just, right now, you're not going to understand this. You can't. But someday you're going to look back and you're going to see what I'm doing. I just need you to trust me right now. My wife recently taught Sunday school at our church and uh, the verse that she was tasked to teach through was Psalm 37.6, right? 37.4, a couple verses off. <laughs> and it's delight thyself also in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. <clears throat> and as she was teaching her Sunday school class to me um, in practice, one of the things that she used for an illustration was different people and their life stories. <laughs> she mentioned Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot and her husband, Jim, and a group of other missionaries went to South America as missionaries. And what happened? When they finally got contact with the people that they were there to reach, they finally thought they were going to have this breakthrough, they were going to have a conversation. The people they were there to reach with the gospel killed her husband and the four other missionaries that they were working with. Okay, God, <laughs> maybe, maybe this one was too big for you. But because Elizabeth Elliot and the other missionary wives there trusted that God was still in control. Oh, I, I have one. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Because they trusted that God was still in control, God used them over the next couple years to actually move in with the tribe that killed their husbands and lead them to the Lord. None of us would have picked that. None of us would have thought, all right, here's the plan. We're going to go to South America, all right? And guys, we're all going to die, all right? But here's the plan. Our wives are going to stay faithful to God, and God's going to use that testimony and their love for the people, despite the, hor the horrific things they did to us. God's going to use that to lead them to Christ. We good? Ready? All right, hands in. No, but, but God was saying, hey, just keep trusting me. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So as we are looking at Christ and we're looking at God saying, hey, this is, this is what I want for my life, then what happens? Then all of these other things, the food, the raiment, all of that, that will be added to me. God's going to take care of that stuff if my focus is, okay, God, what is your plan? What is it that you want me to do? In John chapter 11, we see a passage that, that exemplifies this so well. Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha send a servant to Christ and say, Lord, the one who you love, he's sick. And Christ says, I know, but don't worry. This sickness is not unto death. <laughs> okay. I mean, we're trusting God. This sickness is not unto death. And then it says the Lord tarried for several days. I wonder what Mary and Martha were thinking <laughs> back there. La Lazarus, your, your cough isn't going away. <laughs> La Lazarus, your, your fever is getting worse. But, but Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death, but unto the glory of God. So, Lazarus, you're gonna pull, it's going to be a miraculous, like you're going to hit 105 degree temperature and then all of a sudden it's going to break and you're going to be fine. 
Lazarus, you're, you're not looking super great at all. <laughs> all right, Lazarus, you're dead. <laughs> this is not how this was supposed to go. Meanwhile, Christ is still doing a work, still tarrying. Mary and Martha, they have what, what else are they going to do? They bury him. He's dead. I wonder what they felt like when Christ came to town. <laughs> he finally shows up. Lord, I don't understand it. What, what happened? You said he wasn't going to die. And Christ's like, right, because you couldn't understand what I was going to do. Where, where is he buried? And then Christ goes, and Lazarus, come forth. Then I wonder if Mary and Martha were sitting there going, oh, we never thought about it happening like this. Whoa. But so many times, we just fail to trust. We stop trusting. If you truly love God, you're willing to trust him even when things don't make sense. And the last one, I promise. Do you love God? If you do, you consider serving him and obeying him a joy. Why are we here? Not at church. But why, why has God left us here on earth? It's to serve him. It's interesting to me that there are people who work their entire lives to build a kingdom for themselves. But then at the end of it all, they don't get to keep it. You work your entire life to get, yes, this is me, this is my kingdom, these are my fortunes, these are my properties, whatever. Okay. That's nice. It feels like when my kids play with Legos, you know, and they stack them up. They have a lot. Of, they have a lot of Legos. But like when they were little, they had the big Duplos, and they would build it up, you know, and they'd get it standing, you know. Well, I mean, they're not that tall, so you know, they get it standing this tall. And like, Dad, look what I did! And I'd come in and I look and like, Oh, that's great! And here comes their sister, boom! <laughs> you know, tears and fighting and all that type of stuff. And they're, Dad, calm down. It's okay. <laughs> you know, but we build this. What is it for? Well, it was for me. That goes back to that men shall be lovers of them own, their own selves. I'm going to live my life for me. But if I truly love God, the reality is serving him will be a joy. In John 14, verse 15, it's really simple. Christ says, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's one way to tell right there. If you truly love me, just do what I ask of you to do. In 1 John 5, verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Lord, why did you ask me to do this? Lord, I don't know that I can be kind to this person today. Lord, listen, this giving the gospel thing. I just don't know that I'm cut out for it. You know, it's just, you don't, and it's just, sounds like Moses, actually. You called me to go get the children of Israel, but I'm just, I'm not a good speaker. God's like, no, I, I called you. I picked you to do this, so you go do that. There's only four questions on the quiz. I wish that it was one of these quizzes that you miss one, it's just 25% off. 
I love God 75%. But I think we see over and over in Scripture that if we can't answer yes to all of these, if we can't say that, yep, these are part of our lives, I think it's a good indication that when we say, I love God, it's like a saying, I love this pen. It's a great pen. Super useful for me. I like to use it. I love God because when I follow him, he blesses me and he makes my life better and he helps me get along with others. So how'd you do? Do you love God? Do you hate what he hates? Do you love who he loves? Do you trust him? And do you obey him? It's kind of elementary stuff, I know. There's probably a lot of hymns that have almost all four of these in there. As we close today, I'm going to ask you to just bow your head and close your eyes. And this is a time for you and God. This has nothing to do with me. Maybe there's something today that God's spoken to your heart, or, or maybe even just one of these things you would say, Lord, that's what I need to work on. I need to work on that loving who God loves. Lord, there's things in my life that I tolerate, but I really don't hate them because I don't understand that that sin that I have in my life is something you died for on the cross. Lord, I love you most of the time, but right now I'm kind of going through a difficult patch. And I've turned my back on you. I haven't been trusting you. Lord, I say that I love you, but you're asking me to obey, and I just, I'm finding myself having a hard time with that. I kind of want to do my way, not your way. So I don't know what you would need to do business with God uh, for today or with today about this. But our hope is that we can all say truly in our lives, I do love you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you.